we had been to California many times to see her mom, but this was the first time that we drove. We always flew before. So we took two weeks. We actually went down to El Paso and across the border a couple of days in Juarez and, and then to Albuquerque to, see, Albuquerque to see some friends and on to L.A. Uh, to see her mom. And then as we returned, we, we came back uh, uh, Interstate 15, skirted the edge of Vegas, and then Interstate 15 goes from Nevada and, and cuts just in the corner of uh, Arizona and then on into Utah. Some amazing scenery. If you've never uh, driven that, I would encourage you to do so. Just a, a wonderful trip. But we were driving, and, and I think it was right as we got into Arizona, we, we were driving that trip, and off in the distance, I don't know, it had to be probably 10 miles, 10 or 12 miles, you could start to see the outline of some mountains. And they, they weren't huge, but, but, but really kind of cool looking, just almost like rock formations. And we got, I don't know, maybe seven or eight miles away, and it looked like, it literally looked like the interstate, I, Interstate 15 ran and just stopped at the mountain. Because you couldn't see where the interstate continued, it and and we commented to one another. It looks like the road ends, and I I'd looked at a map, so I was fairly confident the Interstate 15 didn't just stop out in the middle of the desert. But but as we continued to get closer and closer, it it still stayed that way. The the closer you got, it still looked like the interstate just ran to the mountain and stopped abruptly right there. We had to be, and I don't know if it was just the time of day that we were traveling. That, that was a little bit of the illusion or what it was, but we were within probably a mile of that before we finally saw that the interstate took a right, hard right-hand turn and headed up into those mountains. What looked like a dead end, what looked like it, that it wasn't go any further, turned out to not be that, but instead opened up to a beautiful, beautiful drive up through those mountains and on into Utah, which was just uh, an amazing trip for us. You might you might guess where I'm going with that. Uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday looked like dead ends. It, it looked like the ministry of Jesus had had gone a long way and and had come to an abrupt uh, finish. Had had stopped abrupt abruptly, and there was going to be no more. Uh, but when you get to Sunday, when you get to Easter, uh, you see an amazing, a beautiful. Uh, a beautiful story. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd ask you to turn to, to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look this morning at, at the resurrection. We're going to look at the story of the resurrection and what it means. And particularly, we're going to see good news. Jesus resurrects lives. Jesus brings lives, lives back. But we're going to see it kind of through three lenses or through three different sets of eyes. We're going to see the story that we see in Mark chapter 5. Uh, and, and we'll see a resurrection story there. We're also going to look at the disciples and kind of what was going on with them, and then we're also going to look through a little bit more contemporary eyes, look through uh, the story from where we are right now. If you have your Bibles, would you follow along with me? Mark chapter 5, we're going to start with verse uh, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed uh, and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, I'm going to stop there and, uh, and and move over a few other verses. So we'll, we'll come back to some of those verses here a little bit later. Uh, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter. Now, I want, want to let you know, I should have told you this. 
that that news came that the little girl had died. Uh, but but Jesus uh, wasn't going to be concerned about that. He did not let anyone except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, go with him. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Now let me just throw out a quick note there. Let me uh, pause for a second. That seems odd that in the middle of this sad scene that people would break out in laughter. In, in Jewish culture, um, w- when someone died, th- they would hire professional mourners. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was just a thing. There were people that were professional mourners that would go and show up. And, and the more money you had, the more mourners that you could have. And it was just a way of honoring the, the one that had passed. So, so probably they had professional mourners there. And, and that's why they, they stopped and laughed because they weren't, they weren't emotionally, um, involved, uh, involved with the girl. Uh, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talilath Kaun, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, uh, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this, and they told them to give her something to eat. I want to look this morning um, at, at this resurrection idea, and as I said, through three lenses. Here's the first one. We'll, we'll see what happens. You need, you need a body. You, you need a body. We, we see in this story, as it starts out in Mark chapter 5, we see a desperate dad. Uh, it says that Jairus, who was a, a synagogue ruler, someone in, in a role of authority at the local synagogue, synagogue, had a little girl that fell ill and, and, and she wasn't getting better. Uh, you can only assume that since he had money, he had already called doctors and, and the doctors were not able to do anything and, and he was desperate. Uh, you may have noticed we, we mentioned that Landon went to the hospital this morning. Johnny's not here today. Their little boy woke up sick, and, and uh, it's Easter Sunday. He's supposed to be here, but, hey, sometimes when you're desperate, you're desperate. And so they took him to the hospital. He's home. Everything's, everything's fine now. But, but when a dad is desperate, he does desperate things, and he takes desperate actions. And, and so this is what the guy did. The first thing he did was he left his daughter's side. Now, he could have easily... Uh, easily thought, man, I need to stay here. I can't do anything unless I'm right here with her. But he knew something had to be done. And so he left her side. And apparently his reason for leaving was to go find this Jesus. And it wasn't hard. All he had to do was walk out and look for the crowd. Remember, we've been talking about over the last few weeks that almost everywhere Jesus went, there were large crowds. He he just got back from on the other side of the lake where where there was only one guy that he spoke with, but they came back, and again, a large crowd appeared, and there was people everywhere. And so I imagine Jairus, when he went out, he all he did was look for the crowd. He saw the crowd, and he knew in the middle of that somewhere was Jesus. So so this desperate dad busted his way through the crowd. I imagine he pushed, and he shoved, and he tugged, and he elbowed, and he made sure he made it all the way to the center of of the crowd. And did you notice what the Scripture says? It says that he that he fell down in front of Jesus. Have, have you seen that before? We've seen it a couple times. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the the man that was uh, the, that that had the demon possession. He fell at Jesus' feet. The leper that came to Jesus to be healed fell at Jesus' feet. Uh, it was no small action on the part of this synagogue leader to fall at the feet of Jesus. Here's the reality: as a synagogue leader, when he saw Jesus, 
quite honestly, he probably had been jealous of Jesus up to this point. In fact, I, I don't doubt that there was some animosity because the people who, who had been coming to his synagogue, the ones that had been coming to him for instruction, had been coming to him to, for his leadership, now were following Jesus. Because everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. And if the crowd is with Jesus, then they're not with him. So I would imagine, the text doesn't say this, but I would imagine that he was a little bit jealous and there's a little bit of animosity about this Jesus taking away all of his people. But he was, he was desperate. And I, I don't know, I don't know how, how else to say this, how else to, to make us understand this, but, but when he was desperate, he put aside all that other stuff. He put aside the jealousy the animosity, and there was something about Jesus that made him know. He just knew that Jesus could do something. Uh, why is it that when we are desperate, when our world is caving in around us and we've nowhere else to go, why is it that we fall at the feet of Jesus? Why is it that we cry out to him, Lord, I'm, I'm in trouble here. You know why? It's because we know. Whether we've ignored him or ran from him or minimized him or disobeyed him or lived as if he wasn't there, we, we know and we crawl, we call out to him. This man came seeking healing. Now we see from later in the story that what he received was a resurrection, not a healing. But to have a resurrection, you have to have a body. You have to, you have to have a body. He was a desperate dad. But when we look later in the book of Mark, we see some discouraged disciples. In Mark chapter 14, verse 50, this is right after the arrest of Jesus, this is what it says there. Then everyone deserted him and fled. These disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They had seen miracle after miracle, this one included. They had seen Jesus go into the house of of Jairus and, 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 and heal and bring back to life his daughter. They had heard his life giving, life changing teaching. They had witnessed his power personally. Remember the story of the calming the sea? They were amazed and terrified by that. Who is this that speaks the word? They had seen Jesus' power. And yet Jesus had just been arrested and they were discouraged and dejected, uh, despondent, defeated. They thought all was lost, there was no hope, their dreams were crushed, their futures were in disarray. But, but oftentimes things don't, don't, uh, don't seem as they really are. Sometimes defeat seems to be inevitable, but victory is waiting in the wings. I, I almost, uh, uh, Derek almost just got up and had a closing prayer. You're, your, your statements there was as good a sermon as, as I could have preached today. Thank you for that. But do you remember some, some of these stories? Uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, we finished with the, the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, and, and when the NCAA tournament comes on, they, they show all these highlights. Uh, and oftentimes, I'll throw, show them real quick. But, but one of them was from 1983 when uh, Jimmy Valvano's uh, North Carolina State uh, team Upset Houston. Uh, on a last second shot, a guy shot an air ball, but Lorenzo Charles, Charles grabbed the ball, dunked it with about a second left, and they won. If you remember that clip, Valvano is, is running, just trying to find someone to hug. He's so excited. They, they took defeat and, and replaced it with victory. In, in 92, y'all know this one if you're a basketball fan, 
Uh, Duke was was down by a point, and a half-court pass hit Christian Leitner, Leitner, and he he, he took a couple turns and spun and shot an 18-footer, switched it, and they beat Kentucky. Um, Bobby, I'm I'm sorry on this, but one of my favorites, the uh, Elite Eight in 1995, UCLA against MU, and uh, Tyus Edney. Guys, fans, you know, Tyus Edney, I think it was 4.8 seconds, is that right? I think it was 4.8 seconds. Took the ball, dribbled the length of the floor, and shot a layup. Missouri's first chance to go to a Final Four, and, and and they didn't quite make it. Derek mentioned 2008. How how could you not if you're a KU fan anyway? Sorry for the rest of you, but uh, Mario hitting that three and tying the game up, sending it into overtime. And I know this was an NCAA tournament, but earlier in this year when K-State and KU played, uh, you, you remember that play when Svee Mikhailuk went the, dribbled the length of the floor and shot a layup to, okay, I'll give it to you, K-State fan. He delivered, dribbled half the length of the floor and ran the rest of the way uh, to shoot a layup. See, see, sometimes, sometimes uh, defeat uh, is inevitable, it seems, but victory is there. They were discouraged. They, they thought he was the Messiah. They thought big things were going to happen. What do we do now? But, but aren't we sometimes like those disciples? I thought God would answer that prayer. I thought if I followed him that I, that I wouldn't have struggles. Life would get easier, not harder. Why, why do I have to suffer even though I'm a Christian? Things aren't always as they seem. The disciples were discouraged. But to have a resurrection, you need a body. And if we look at it through our eyes, do, do I really have to die? As we apply this to ourselves, we realize that Jesus, Jesus resurrects, resurrects lives. There was an elderly man that was uh, on his deathbed, and, and they'd called the family, and he was at his home, and they'd called him in, and, and the family, his daughters, were, were, were around the bedside and just kind of holding vigil. And, and he began to talk, and he said, he said to his daughters, he said, you know, so, so I've been married to your mother for over 50 years, and she is a saint. You know, they kind of nodded in agreement. And, and then he said, you know, your mother was the finest cook there ever was. And again, they nodded in agreement. And, and then he said this. He said, you know, girls, I can smell even now the, the, the smell of one of her famous cherry pies cooking. And he looked at one of his daughters and said, hey, would you, would you go get me a slice of that cherry pie? And so the daughter left and a couple moments later, she returns and uh, empty-handed. And he looked at her and he said, said, didn't I ask you to get me a piece of pie? He said, yeah, uh, Dad, Mom said the pie's for your funeral dinner. Uh, you can't have any. <laughs> the resurrection story for us isn't about the physical, but about the spiritual. Jesus resurrects lives. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how far you've wandered from God, how far sin has separated. It, it, it matters not what sin has caused in your life, what pain it's caused, the tor- turmoil that it's wrought, the destruction that it's left in its wake. I, I don't care if you're drowning in loneliness, you're shackled by addiction, you're paralyzed by regrets, you're wandering in self-doubt. Jesus resurrects lives. Jesus resurrects lives. That's why we're here today. He can take the brokenness in your life and make it whole. He can take the pain in your life and the emptiness in your life. He can take your heartache and He can take your grief, and He can take your fear, and He can take your failures and resurrect that. But, you need a body. 
That's why Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may, may increase by no means? We who die to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or, or Colossians 3 verse 3 that says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, see, we're, we may be struggling today, but Jesus, Jesus resurrects lives. Tony Campolo tells this story. Said he was in South Africa speaking at a, a large conference. And in fact, there were several different groups represented, several different ministries and, and evangelistic associations uh, there. And, and one of the groups were, was a group that really believed in faith healing. And, and they had done some faith healing type services at this big conference. And, and Capolo says he, he, he talked to those leaders and, and they were asking him about his ministry. And, and the idea of faith healing came up. And he said, well, no, I, I don't do that. I pray for people, but... Uh, and usually when I do, I get to know them, and I just, I, you know, I pour my heart up, but, you know, God just hasn't given me that gift. And Capolo said he came home, and it was about a, a week later, he was speaking at a church in Oregon. And at the end of the service, he said, I don't know where it came from, I wasn't planning on it, but when the service was over, I just kind of blurted out, if anyone wants to wants me to pray for their healing, come up after the service and I'll pray for you. And then he added this little addendum, he said, I don't know if anything will happen, but I'll do it. You know, that's really praying with faith, I guess. But Capola says there's several people that came up and, and for about an hour they, they stood there and he said, said, I didn't do it real fast like you see on TV. I, with each person, I talked to them, I got to know them, I embraced them, and I prayed for healing. He said the, 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 the odd thing is that very few of them actually prayed that, uh, or, or needed something done physically. Most of them it was broken relationships and, and broken hearts and struggles like that. Um, and, and he said, I, I prayed through all these and, you know, no one was healed, nothing miraculous. He says about four or five days later, his phone rang. And the, the lady on the other said, Mr. Campolo? He said, yes. He said, she said, I, I was at the service the other day uh, in, in Oregon. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. Campolo says when he heard the word had, he said his heart skipped a beat. And, and he got real excited for a second. And... And and so he said, had cancer? And she said, uh, yeah, he died. <laughs> and Capola says, I, my, my, my shoulders just shrugged, and I thought, well, what good was my prayer? And she said, no, Tony, you don't understand. I said, so we came to church that day, and my husband was struggling. He was angry at God. He was bitter. Uh, he, he, he was so looking forward to his grandchildren uh, being raised and wanted to be a part of them lives, and he was so mad at God. In fact, he was so mad that 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 his bitterness started coming out on us, and and, and it was it was almost impossible to live with him. And, and then we came to church that day, and you laid your hands on him and you prayed for him. She said, "I want you to know the last four or five days of his life were the best we ever had. We talked, we laughed, we sang hymns together." She said it was amazing. And Tony, I want you to understand this. Tony, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. See, the truth is Jesus comes to resurrect lives, but he needs a body. He needs you. Uh, you need a body, but you also need to believe. In verse 24 of chapter 5, it, it tells us this. this. This guy came and threw himself at Jesus' feet, and then it says in verse 24, Jesus went with him. Can you imagine the dude's excitement when Jesus said, okay, 
oh, okay, I'll follow you. And he grabs Jesus by the, the sleeve and he starts forcing his way through the crowd. And, and, and as they're getting a little further down the, the line, we, we see a little bit of a, a, a sidebar. Another story appears in the middle of this story. If you have your Bibles uh, with you there, let, let me read those verses. Uh, starting with verse, end of verse 24, a large cloud followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all, uh, all that she had, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately after, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched you? Uh, But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now that's a cool story. That's, That's a neat story. Unless you're Jairus. He just went and got Jesus. He just humbled himself at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe in you, and and was dragging him to his daughter. And then this happens. And and we know from the story what what happened right in the middle of it, right as he was there, that Jesus, or that Jairus' uh, servants came and said, it's too late, she's gone. It's too late. This father must have been beside himself while Jesus was talking to this lady. Come on, Jesus, hurry up. We've got to go. Do you ever feel like when you cry out to God, you cry in your moment of desperation that his sense of urgency doesn't match yours? Jairus gets up and goes and gets Jesus. And right in the middle of his crisis, Jesus is delayed. If you're like me, there's times, there's times I call out the Lord and I feel, I feel like God's not there. I feel like he's not answering. I, I feel like he's delayed. I feel like there's other crises that are more important. And in fact, what was even more difficult for this guy, he's sitting there, come on, Jesus, come on. And, and, and Jesus puts someone else's crisis in front of his. And they said, why bother the teacher anymore? Really what they were saying is it didn't work. He couldn't help you. But in verse 36, Jesus, it says of Jesus that he ignored them. What, what seems like that, that Jesus was slow in response, in reality, he wasn't. He showed up. Jesus reminded them, reminded them that he was there. And this is what he said. This is what he said to Jairus. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In verse 36, just believe. I'm sure Jairus was frozen in his fear. He was anchored in his anger. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Before it was Jairus that was pulling Jesus. And now Jesus starts to pull Jairus. And he simply says, just believe. It took faith. For him to follow Jesus in the middle of his crisis. 
there's a story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe that 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 had uh, uh, at this point not been noted any and he went and visited the tribe, and it was a remote, remote area. And there was a, a, an illness that was going through, a, a disease, a sickness going through the tribe. And, and so he was trying to get them to go back to where they had a medical clinic. And, and to do that, they had to cross this river. And unfortunately for them, they felt that the river had evil spirits, and so they stayed away from the water. And so the guy, the missionary got in the water and kind of splashed the water around a little bit and said, and, and let them know there's, there's nothing to fear, but, they still wouldn't go. And so he waded out about knee deep in the water to show them that nothing was happening and motioned them and they still wouldn't go. And he went a little bit farther and he splashed the water up on his head and on his face. See, I'm okay. And they still wouldn't go. And finally he dove head first into the, into the river and swam the other side. When they saw that the river did not defeat him, then they finally believed him and followed. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just believe. To, to his disciples, he says, don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. On at least three different occasions, Jesus had told his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and that he had to die and that he was going to come back to life. Three times he said, this is going to happen, but they didn't believe. He said, don't misunderstand. And to us, he says, don't doubt. How many times do we miss the resurrection that Jesus has for us because we doubt his ability to make a change? Last October, I went to uh, went down to Juarez to take pictures for the Operation Anapa project that you guys helped out with last year. Uh, while I was there, we went to a church service in in. Uh, the Galeana Church of Christ. During the service, there there was a song that came on and everyone stood up for the song. In, in the front of the service, there, there was three or four teenage kids sitting there and there was one guy, his name is Alex. Alex was sitting there in a wheelchair. Alex is a unique story. He came to the church uh, broken spiritually and physically and hurting and, and they, they reached out to him and, and they spoke to him and they shared Christ with him. And, and this young man who had been so far from God uh, became a Christian, became a believer. And I remember sitting, I heard that story, I remember sitting in that service that day and watching as everyone stood up to, to sing, and there was Alex sitting in that wheelchair. And I watched, and, and my heart was just so moved. I watched as, as, as he reached over to the, 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 the handles of the wheelchair and he pressed himself up and struggling he got on his feet. That would be a great story if I said he walked. But he didn't. He got himself standing upright. And he stood there and sang. This man that had so much going against him fought to stand up and say, God, I believe. I believe you have purpose for my life. Don't doubt. And finally, we'll close here. There's a, uh, you need a new beginning. You need a new beginning. This, this little girl in verses 41 and 42, Jesus brought her back to life and then he told her, get up. Now, now it would have been a weird story if Jesus had, had said, get up and she, nah, I'll just stay where I'm at. I'm, I, I like being dead. No. She got up. She did what he told her to do. The disciples had to go. We're told in Mark chapter 16, verse 
15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Uh, they were told to, to get up and go. Peter was discouraged because of his denial. denial. Thomas was discouraged because of his doubt. The others were dis- discouraged because they had ran from Jesus. But their new beginning happened when they got up and went. And we have to give in. See, the real resurrection is the resurrection that Jesus offers us. And that's our new beginning. He can take our life. He can take our fears, our failures, our pride, our past, our todays and our tomorrows, our love, our sin, our hate, and change it. He can resurrect. See, we need a, we need a body for a resurrection. We need to believe and we need a new beginning. A couple weeks ago, Rita got a, got a phone call, or actually saw it on Facebook and then made a, made a phone call. She has a, an aunt in Michigan. Actually, it's a cousin, but she calls her Aunt Stubb. Uh, and Aunt Stubb had fallen ill. In fact, they didn't think she was going to make it, wasn't going to make it out of the hospital. We had, we had talked about, did we drive to Michigan so that we could see her one last time? And then we were starting to make plans. Well, we'll, we'll have to drop everything when she passes away and go, go see her. And, uh, and, and through conversations and Rita calling her daughter and, 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 and even calling Aunt Stubb and talking to her. You know, Aunt Stubb was telling her, Reed, I'm ready to go. In fact, I can't wait to go. I, I can't, I can't wait to get to heaven and see Aunt Jenny or, or, or cousin Jenny, which is Rita's mom. She can't wait to see her, uh, both of her husbands, her husband and boyfriend. See, those are so many people that she wanted. Uh, in fact, I think they talked about, okay, who's she going to see first? Which one? And, and, uh, oh, she was, she said, I can't wait to go. Through all this, her, her daughter had a trip planned to Tennessee, and, and and her mom was saying, Aunt Sub was saying, go on and take the trip, and and her daughter was almost to the point of canceling. And and, and this is what Aunt Stubb, Stubb said to her: She said, "I want you to go. I'll be okay. You'll see me when I get back." And then she said this: "But when you get back, if I'm not here, you'll know where I'm at." I don't, wow! What what a story. What a testimony of the power of the resurrection. We have a hope. We have a hope in Jesus. There's good news. He resurrects lives. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your your message and your truth and your hope and your love. Father, I thank you today that we have a hope of a resurrected life. Father, you can take us wherever we are. You can take us in our pain and in our failure and in our struggles, and you can make us whole again. Father, each one here today is a person that's in need of resurrection. Father, speak that truth into our life and give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you need to know that resurrection, if you need to know that hope and that strength, I would invite you to come as we stand and sing. Would you stand?